Ricky. Yes, bye. <laughs> yes, bye. We're coming to you from Newfoundland. Say what's jobs. up? What's up, church planters and church planting enthusiasts? My name is Jared Huntley, and I'm with my good friend and fellow planter in arms, Matt Hess. And you guys are listening to In the Trenches, a podcast by everyday church planters for the everyday church planter. So whether you're a lead church planter or you're on a church planting team or you're just a fan of church planting, then this podcast is for those of you who want to get in the trenches and advance the kingdom of God. Matt, we're coming to our audience. Well, not really live. We're live, but they're not live. But we're coming to our audience from St. John's, Newfoundland. 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 We yes, learned you got to pronounce the land. Yeah, emphasize the land. They've only corrected us 84 times, though, so that's not bad. I've been corrected more than you have. Daniel was his name, right? Daniel. Yeah, he was a nice guy, though. He's nice. He corrected you with love. Yeah. So this is another road show. This is our second uh, road show. Our first road show was from Ames, Iowa. And now uh, we are coming to you from Newfoundland. Yes. And uh, so we're excited today. We've got our brother uh, and friend and also another fellow planter in the Fellowships Network, Kesa Van Balasingham. And he's going to be joining us today. And uh, we're going to be chatting with him and hearing his story. What's going on, Casey? Hey, great to be with you guys. Um, thanks for having me. You bet. Great to have you. you yeah. Bet. Well, um, I think today we're going to talk about character mm-hmm. and uh, just yeah. kind of really what I, what I want us to kind of dig down into for the next uh, 30 minutes or so is how important is character actually when it comes to church planning. And one of the things that uh, I have always been impressed with, with Kesavan and that I've always looked to him uh, to as an example is they've got an incredible discipleship culture at their church, Fellowship Rouge Park. They do an incredible job of discipling uh, young men and women uh, and uh, Kesavan does an incredible job of just developing character uh, in the people that he's investing in and the young leaders that he's raising up. So I thought that'd be uh, something that'd be really beneficial for us to cover together. Yeah, absolutely. When partners say like, what does Kesavan do for your network? I say, we like to just put people around Kesavan because he's such a godly man and uh, really lives that out, lives out the spirit filled life. And, and uh, we've always just been so impressed with the way his growth is continuous with Christ and, and how he's always making disciples. Every Every time I talk to Case Fan, he's always telling me stories about how he's discipling somebody yep. and sharing a story. So it's good. Yeah. No. And, you know, I think that you just the fact that, you know, that's what we think of when we think of you uh, kind of is a testament to the work of grace that God's done in your life mm-hmm. uh, because you weren't always like that, right? Uh, just none of us were <laughs> like yeah. we used to be. God's changed all of us. But okay, Savannah, why don't you maybe just give uh, our listeners a background of how you came to faith in Jesus and what God has done in your life. Hey, before he shares his story, we should tell our listeners why we're in Newfoundland. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so yeah. They're probably like, why are we in Newfoundland? So the Fellowships Network and uh, and we're here with the, the Brett Porter, mm-hmm. the Brett Porter. That's right. The Centurano City yeah. Missionary Ding. And uh, we're here in Newfoundland and we are talking to a guy who really wants to see a movement of churches planted here mm-hmm. in Newfoundland. And it's a tough place. And uh, but man, this guy's got a lot of vision and a lot of heart. And uh, we're excited to see see what we can potentially do to partner with them. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's a totally different world here. This is, it is kind of feels like you're in a different country. Honestly. Yeah, so absolutely. It's a lot different, but they've got really good seafood. <laughs> yeah, impressed with that so for far. sure. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh yeah. yeah. The views are absolutely, absolutely. Amazing, so. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Casey, man, show us your story, man. Um, uh, I'd be glad to, I mean, let me just start off by saying, um, that I'm humbled <clears throat> that you guys would, um, 
want me to talk about character. I'm, I'm, everything good is by the grace of God and, mm-hmm. and by other men who have come in my life and really uh, worked that out in my own life. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, my story pretty much starts in a small island called Sri Lanka, south of India. In the early 80s, my family decided to move out because of a impending civil war. We moved from Sri Lanka to Germany, spent a couple of years there, learned German, spent a year in France. And then in 1989, about 30 years ago, we arrived to Canada and spent a year in Montreal learning French. And then we moved to Toronto, in particularly the east end of Toronto called Malvern. Uh, it was a community that was booming with immigrants and people moving in. And um, so life began there. Mm. I come from a family of Hindus and there was no Christians in our family. And as I was growing up in Toronto, particularly Scarborough, um, <clears throat> I started struggling with identity and belonging and asking questions about purpose. And so I ended up sort of finding identity um, I thought I had in in two particular areas. One is in playing sports. So I had a dream of becoming a professional soccer player. Secondly, in my friends, in our community, and we were growing up and we experienced a bunch of different racism, bullying, Mm -hmm. uh, violence, and uh, it sort of led us to protect each other, to becoming a gang, to becoming affiliated, and uh, long story short, um, it wasn't a good thing. Uh, So fast forward to the late 90s, I was in college, uh, graduating from my IT program, and uh, my best friend got beaten up. And so we as friends decided to retaliate. Not exactly sure how that was going to happen, but sadly that ended up in a a very violent shooting. And uh, a ton of people were involved. I was involved. Um, I got shot, survived, obviously, and others got hurt. And sadly, one young man lost his life that night and um, everything changed. And not long after that, I got charged with two others and uh, put in prison and potentially facing the rest of my life incarcerated. And it's at that point that I was about to lose my mind. And uh, I had just asked for a book, a magazine. It could have been anything. I'm not even a reader. Uh, But by the kindness and the grace of God, um, another inmate slipped a Bible through an air vent in my door. And I began to read it. Um, Up until that point, I saw Christianity as a white man's God. I would walk to Catholic churches and I would see a statue of Jesus with blonde hair and blue eyes and you know white skin and so I didn't I just always thought it was a western religion but as, as I began to read from Genesis 1-1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and I continue to read uh, I began to see this God who spoke who created who related and people rebelled and immediately I started to relate to that not long after that I began to read the gospel in Matthew and uh, as I arrived to Matthew 5 um, it was the moment of reckoning where really, where Jesus says in chapter five, you, you know, you've been told to, to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I'm telling you to love your enemy. And so I thought about my enemy, you know, my enemy who almost took my friend's life, but also sat there totally broken and saying, but I don't want to live like this anymore. Yeah. I do want to love my enemy. Uh, only later on, I came to realize that really Sermon on the Mount is teaching of kingdom life. Yeah. How a born again, spirit filled believer ought to live. And so I was not yet born again, but yet the Holy Spirit was doing a work that I couldn't deny. And not long after that, a volunteer who comes weekly to do Bible studies in the prison uh, came in. And honestly, I don't remember what he taught, but I was waiting because I was just bursting forth to ask questions and talk about this gospel because I walked up to him and I said, look, I'm a Hindu. Um, I've been reading the Bible and I want to know if the God of the Bible is a personal God. 
is a God who forgives, um, is a God who can restore and use me. Mm. And, and, you know, he, he was on his way out. So he said, I'm going to come back and meet with you next week. And he did came back from work uh, to the prison and met with me. And we sat across a small little table in my, um, in that prison. And he helped me connect all the dots, all the things that I've been reading to understand that, you know, God in his kindness created us, but we rebelled that we're born then. And I look back in my own life and I know from the youngest of age that nobody taught me how to lie and do these things. And I did it on my own, that I was a rebel in my heart and that sin separated me from a holy God and that I deserved to be eternally separated. But because of the grace and the kindness of Jesus on the cross mm-hmm. and the fact that he has opened my eyes as I read the word, that I can be saved by trusting in Jesus. And so that day, um, I was ready in, in, in the spirit did a work and I repented of my sins and I confessed Jesus to my Lord and Savior. And, uh, you know, as I walked back to my prison room, I knew my life will never be the same again. I still remember that walk in that, in that hallway to the prison room. And my life was never going to be the same again. Now, I continue to read the Bible. This brother came back every Friday to disciple me. Mm-hmm. Every Friday. He taught me two things. How to read the Bible on my own and how to pray what I'm reading. So yeah. my prayer life and my reading life. And really was the way to commune with God because I was locked up 19 and a half hours a day in that prison. And there was nothing else to do. So either I waste my time or I read the word. And there was no pillow, nothing. So uh, I had a hardcover Bible placed by the Gideons. The Lord blessed the Gideons for what they did. Yeah. And that Bible became my pillow. And it was a King James version of the Bible. And so I say that because I used to hate Shakespeare. And when I read King James, I felt like it was Shakespeare language. Yeah. Uh, but yet God continued to speak to me and this brother discipled me. And then I started doing correspondence courses and things happening. So, and interestingly, I started reading Acts and I read about Paul and Silas as they were in prison and as they were singing and and praying and praising God that the doors opened and Mm. and they walked out. So I earnestly desired that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But let's just say it never happened. Um, And so it was just very naive, but also just truly trusting that all of it is God's word from the beginning was important. Not long after that, the crown attorney came back and said that neither of us were directly responsible for what happened, although we were involved as a group. In the criminal code in Canada, it says if you're involved as a group or as a gang, that you're equally accountable to it. Mm. And that they wanted one person to take the fall, and if so, they'll give others a lesser sentence, and they wanted me to take the fall. Which meant I could potentially spend the rest of my life in prison, and which was not a great deal for me at all. But honestly, the, the one thing that really helped me through that was the the, the realization and the doctrine of God's sovereignty. Mm. That God was sovereign over all things, and that even though it didn't fully make sense to me why I should take the fall, I did. Because I didn't want to take responsibility for my actions. <laughs> They said is the only way I can take responsibility for my actions is by taking this plea. And so I did and got sent to the penitentiary and it just went from bad to worse. Um, I went through a long season of depression. You're locked up 23 hours a day. The most violent prison in Canada is called Millhaven Institution. It's now replaced Kingston Penitentiary. And my first year there, there was about 50 different stabbings. It was a very violent place. I almost pinched myself a few times saying, if I'm going to wake up from this nightmare. Um, and I didn't because that was a reality. Mm. Um, but again, you see, the penitentiary system, that prison was, was was considered gladiator school. So I had a guy come up to me who's been there for many years and said, you know, you're going to need a shank, which is a homemade weapon. Yeah. And uh, the Lord so quickly, as I went back to my room, reminded me 
uh, in James, it says, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Mm. And God reminded me, like, on the street, I did what I want, and it cost nothing but destruction. Mm. And it does not bring about the righteousness of God. And so I said to him, I don't want this. I'm going to trust the Lord. And I'm going to trust that he's going to help me honor and respect people and walk that straight line. And he did. And he did. And that, the Lord protected me. I mean, there's sadly people have lost their lives in there. People got into addiction. Yeah. So many different things. But God in his mercy kept me together. Not just that, but not long after that, the Lord started to use me in there by, you know, trying to be a witness, trying to help guys. Yeah. Um, I, I ended up working as a um, advocate in the prison. So He gave you favor, man. Yeah. <laughs> the Lord gave me so much favor with yeah. both. Uh, in fact, I think in the ESV, it says the uh, Joseph had favor with the keeper of the prison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they still use the same title, the keeper, which was the the area supervisors and the wardens. And, and they would ask me, like, why are you smiling all the time? Why are you yeah. happy? And, you know, you're in here. And I just tell him because my hope is in the Lord, Amen. and and that you know, although we walk through the valley of shadow of death, we fear no evil because the Lord is with us. And it was that hope that really kept me together, but also it was a discipline that God was instilling in my life of reading the Word daily, praying it, um, and trusting in Him. And so, uh, there's a verse in the Bible that says, "When a man's ways please the Lord, he leave and make his enemies be at peace with him." You can make enemies very quickly sure. in a place like that when you're locked up treat it like an animal, right? So again, so the Lord just moved me from one place to another, um, from maximum to medium to minimum. And everywhere I went, God faithfully sent somebody from the community, an older godly man to come and disciple me. Very simple. It sounds like, how did that happen? God in his kindness. Mm. Everywhere I went, they told somebody, hey, he's getting transferred here. And they all came and they just poured into my life. Mm. The lower security I went, the men also would bring their wives in. I mean, if you're locked up and you don't talk to women, you actually don't know how to socialize with them. Yeah. But the fact that they not only disciple, but they trusted me with their family. And mm. then they took me to community uh, churches eventually and things like that. And so... Finally, I um, I sat in front of the uh, national parole board and um, for to review my case for release, and um, they asked me two questions. One is, they asked, um, "Why did you take the fall?" You know, the person directly responsible is still out there. You know, how do you feel about that? And I said, "Well, I wish it was different." Hmm. Um, and I'm not bitter towards anybody. Um, I wish, obviously, that I was not a part of this, but I would not trade away what God has done as a result of it. Hmm. The fact that God has saved me and what he's done in my life. So I thank God for my new life in Jesus. And uh, secondly, they asked me, how do you know you're not using Christianity as a crutch, religion as a crutch to get out of prison? Hmm. I said, well, Jesus says that a true will be known by its fruit. <clears throat> so either this is real and true or this is all fake. And if it is, then I'm a great actor and you shouldn't release me. Hmm because then I'm not trustworthy. They came back not long after that and said uh, that they were going to release me. And uh, uh, by the time I got released, I had spent uh, nine years, just over nine years incarcerated. So it's all my 20s pretty much. And while I was in there, I'd applied to go to Bible college at Tinder. Yeah. And um, yeah, I got released and 24 hours later, I was in class and I had an assignment due. So, um, you know, I was a nervous wreck and I was living in Oshawa. And so I had to live through a halfway house. I was living, actually, it was a shelter in a halfway house. And, uh, but it was still better than prison. (laughs) So, you know, perspective changes everything, right? So um, that's what happened there. I mean, relating to character, what these men did over the years really spoke so much and one of them so two of them are with the Lord now 
and one of them, Harry Spencer, gave me the autobiography of George Mueller. And when I read George Mueller, he was a young guy who got into trouble. Yeah. <laughs> and immediately I'm like, hey. And then I saw his life being transformed by the truth of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And how God used him both as a pastor, as a, as a brother who supported missionaries, but also the legacy was the, the orphanages in, in yeah. Bristol, England. And so that really convicted me that my prayer life was weak and I had all the time in the world in the prison mm-hmm. and that my faith was small. And, and, and George Mueller defended the truth, lived for it. And so he was one of them that, that these men just, but also I saw it in their lives. Yeah. Right. It wasn't so far removed. And that really began to speak to my life. And I was responsible in that prison as a, uh, as the head of the inmate population. I represented their needs. So I had to be very straightforward and I had to be careful of how I, they represent, how they were represented, but also how to argue, um, for, uh, a better environment in that community. Yeah. Right. So all of that mattered in there. And so the last prison I was, it was called by, uh, Beaver Creek Institution. So the acronym is BCI and we actually changed it to Bible College Institute yeah. because in the chapel, there was always a Bible study, always a fellowship, always a time of praise. Um, and so God can redeem anything. Yeah. If we invite him into it and we trust him and, uh, you know, we, you do it for his glory. So, yeah. So that, no, that's, that was about 10 years ago. I came back into the community and went to school for two years, uh, married my lovely wife, Viji. And, um, in, since then the Lord has wife and four kids. Yeah. Given us four children, Josiah, Micah, Abigail, and Emily. And I've had the privilege of, you know, I never would have dreamt of, of pastoring and serving a local church. And so I've been now pastoring for, um, seven years and, uh, the last four of them is with our church plan at fellowship church, Rouge park. Yeah. Yeah. And so T- tell our listeners how you got connected yeah. with the fellowships briefly. And then Jared has got some questions. For yeah. Me. So, uh, my mentor from, from Bible college days, uh, pastor Bob McGregor, um, he really encouraged me towards the ministry of, of the word. And, um, as I was pastoring, uh, he one day told me about this guy that came up from Tennessee. His name is Matt Hess. And he told me this over our Swiss chalet chicken. We're having lunch together. Yeah. And I said, what's his name? And then I forgot your name. And then I went, most home. people do brother. Yeah. It's, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then I texted him. I said, give me his name again. And so I, I, I Googled you up and there was this video of you from Tennessee while you were at Coral for Baptist church. Yeah. Yeah. And got connected to Brett Porter from there and Brett forwarded my email to you. And that was January of 2000. And, um, and 13. Yeah. Um, and so we begin to, sorry, 14 and we begin to speak and I visited your church once and talk about really the desire to, uh, reach lost people, the desire to do that in the city. Yeah. And the more we spoke, the realized that the more we have in common as well. And, uh, we just wanted to seek the Lord for wisdom if you should move forward that way. And, and it did. And so I'm, I'm grateful. We ended up spending uh, time in fellowship Pickering doing a residency there in preparation to plant the church and in, in, in God's kindness, Seba was there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, they helped us and, uh, we began October of 2014 to meet in our living room as a core group and went from there. So just a little backstory. Uh, so for everybody listening, when we moved to Toronto in July of 2013, in the first week, we went down and prayer walked right. in Rouge Park. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And we asked God specifically to bring a church planner from that area. And six months later, case of was an answer to prayer. Mm-hmm. That's what God does. This is how he works in church planning. That's yeah. why we love it. That's, right. That's why we love it. Man, I know Jared's thinking of some questions. Uh, one thing I want to ask you about, we talk about character, you know, it's a broad subject. Mm-hmm. It's a broad subject. So, so People say, well, how do you define character? People might define it as, well, what you do when no one's looking, different things like that. But, man, when we talk about church planting, Mm -hmm. when we talk about the value and the importance of somebody's character and integrity, just speak into that, Kay. And and how would you define character? And then how would you what would you say is the value and the importance of a church planner's character uh, being what it should be? Right. So um, even before I understood it from the from the context of First um, Timothy or Titus, because the qualifications are are heavy on character. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gifting is teaching. Yep. Everything else, pretty much character. And interestingly, uh, in Timothy, First um, Timothy three, the character there really are um, circles that overlap. It covers social life. It covers family life. It covers a local church life. It covers your life with believers and with non-believers. How will they see you? Are you a man whose disposition is this way that is God honoring? That's trustworthy. Is your word good? And but also, if you talk to your children, how will they describe you as a father? If you is your wife, yeah. And so, a pastor planter, you know, should only be brought in, I believe, once we speak to both of them, both husband and wife. Yeah. And so um, that's important. Secondly, uh, a book that I read years ago, recommended my friend, it's called The Trellis and the Vine. Mm. Um, Tony Payne uses three C's, conviction, character, and competence. Yeah. Now, it's frustrating to try to build convic- character in somebody's life when there's no conviction. Exactly. And conviction comes from the word mm-hmm. and the word that is planted in our hearts and in our minds yeah. is what really um, nurtures and cultivates our character. Yeah. If that is not, then the world will be and it will be a very compromised way of cultivating character. The other thing, too, is if I don't have a teachable spirit and a repentant heart, mm. that ain't happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so being teachable and repentant is key. I would say for someone who's seeking for a life partner, mm. but also definitely for someone who's going to be in ministry and someone who's discipleable, if I could use that word. Yeah. So that's where I would start is that I know um, there's always, we're talking about competencies in church planting. Yeah. And I believe if I put in the order of priority, it needs to start with conviction from the word that the Holy Spirit takes and forms character through discipleship relationship, yeah. leadership development and competence is the third thing that helps us equip. Like, for example, when we began church planting, yeah. like, I didn't know a lot of different things. Right. And you guys really helped me with that and equipped me and encouraged me and that stuff so that, and I'm glad for all of that. Mm. But I think, but I think if I'm pursuing competencies outside of character yeah. that is informed by the word, then yeah. I may look like I have it together, but when tough times come, when times come where I'm tempted to compromise, cut corners, cut corners, lie, not be honest, marriage, all of those things, yeah, things may fall apart. Yeah, it's it's almost like you're building on a bad foundation, right? Because we've all, all three of us, have tried to develop right. men whose character is right. not there right. and they might know theology. Right. They might be able to preach. Right. They might be able to have some platform gifts right. and we start to give them responsibility. <laughs> right. And then we say, Whoa, wait a second. 
Right. Something's not right with right. this guy. Right, right, right. And uh, what are, and Jared, you can speak into this too. What are some of those triggers that we see? Like, what are some of those triggers when you say, ah, oh, guys, care, like, uh, I want us to be real practical for our listeners mm-hmm. out there mm-hmm. that are developing leaders and stuff. What are some of those triggers that you see? I'll, I'll just throw one out there. Tardiness. Okay. Like being late, for example, like yeah. if you're late for every meeting, if you, mm-hmm. you can't be on time, if mm-hmm. you, you know, cause then when you, when you, when you can't be on time for things, you're saying to me, like, you don't value yep. my time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you're going to do that with other people. So I think, and that could be a, that could be a maturity thing. You yep. can correct that, you know, but that would be one I just real practical. What, yeah. what about you guys? Well, I, I think a, a lack of perseverance uh, or stick to itiveness, if you will, That's is, um, you know, I think you need that, a little bit of that in church planning. Yeah. Well, you, you have. <laughs> Have to. I mean, I Don't think a lot, lot of times, yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's a this language has become more and more popular. You know, the apostolic and you know and stuff like that. And I consider myself apostolic, but I think yeah. if you're not careful that you can use that as an excuse to basically like just quit. Yeah, all, you know, early on, on yeah. some things and just bounce around and kind of go to the next exciting thing. Restlessness, restlessness, and you can kind of feed into that. And so I think you know, just being able to it, can this guy like stick through something? Yeah. Can he persevere through some hard times? Is he willing to, you know, um, you know, stick around for a little while and, yeah. and push through? So I think that's you a know, good. And then we already mentioned teachability and humility. Oh, you yeah. know, like if a guy's not willing to to listen. Um, to what other people have to say, yeah. uh, or, you know, if he's just, you know, kind of always, you know, telling it like, this is how I think it yeah. should be. This mm-hmm. is how things, you know, should, should work. And he's not ever really willing to you know consider other people's perspective. Mm-hmm. That's a huge red flag. Cause I don't think you can do anything with somebody no. that's I'm, I'm smiling right now because Gavin, our 10 year old now, he's always, he's always, uh, I know, I, well, I know. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you don't know. Yep. That's why I'm telling you to stop doing what you're doing or whatever. And he's getting better at it. But right. So, okay. I have a question for you, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't, there's not very many people that would say they value uh, competency over character. Most people would say, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Character is definitely we'll number the character one. Part definitely number one. And yet practically what I continue to see happen over and over and over again is that competency gets way more attention than right. character, right? Because right. we get, we're just naturally drawn to giftedness, right? We're naturally right. drawn to that. Why do you think that is? Why does character get overlooked? Right. <clears throat> I think competency is immediately or s- faster recognized by those around us. You can mm-hmm. see it. And so in the flesh, I want the approval of men. Yeah. And not that I consciously think of it. But it's the thing that also easily feeds my ego. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I mean this personally, that I have to be so careful. Secondly, character is revealed slowly, but in the long term, it'll last a lifetime of ministry. For example, <clears throat> a young guy, so I know I'll be 40 next year. So a young guy who's 25 now, um, who wants to get into ministry, but showing evidence that he needs more character work is rushing into ministry. And this happened to me, and my advice was, it is better that you allow godly men in your life, your elders of your church, to cultivate character in your life, and that you get into ministry at 30 or 31 or 32 and have a lifetime of fruitfulness. Then you get into ministry a year from now and crash and burn and affect a number of people Mm. and bring disrepute to the name of the Lord. Mm. And so those are the things we need to think of. So one is has immediate outside recognition. 
Like this guy's really good. And I want to, I want to affirm those things. But I, if I want that to be fruitful for a lifetime of ministry, then character and those convictions is going to give you that firm foundation that even when stuff is not going well, that you know what your word is good yeah yeah and that you're not going to run away and you're not going to quit yeah you're not going to jump at every small uh you know ill that comes your way and, and that's important and it's just like you know it's just that's the kingdom of god growth right it's slow but eventually it's very visible yeah. right isn't, isn't it fair to say that you can't teach character at a certain point I mean, sure. now, now, now you can when you're developing, mm-hmm. you're discipling people, and, and I, right. some of those things are going to show up. Mm-hmm. You know, like the on time thing, or mm-hmm. being truthful, or mm-hmm. whatever it might be. But it, there's a point in time if someone's a follower of Christ, right. the Holy Spirit lives within him or her, right? Right. Yeah. And they know not to lie. They know to do things the right way. They know not to cut corners. They know those things. Mm-hmm. And how do we? How do we pick up on those things? How do you see that? Right. And I think you just have to be in life with people. You do. Over uh, a significant period of time. You can be in isolation. I mean, these years that these men faithfully came to visit me in prison from work. So one of them is uh, Mike Davies. He's a bricklayer. Mike is almost, I think, in his mid-60s now. And he'd work hard all day. And he'd come to the chapel. And we were... Um, we were studying authentic manhood at that time and he would shake my hand. I thought he would crush it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so how I do it is that, and he would come and I just watched the way he lived his life. Yeah. Just honest. Watch the way he yeah. lived his life. So I would just watch. And in my quietness of man, my life, I think about him like, man, that guy, Mike, or, or Harry Spencer, who's with the Lord now. Uh, I'd be in school every Thursday. He'd call me and say, listen, don't even call me back. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm cheering you on. I love you and I want you to prosper in Jesus. And so as they have done this in my life, I'm trying to see like, how can I do this in other guys' life? Not that I'm as old as them, but still that there are people in our lives that I want to cheer on and encourage them because that's going to prepare us. This is why... We've had a podcast. We've had an episode before on mentors, and, mm-hmm. the, and uh, so I don't want to go too far down right. that road because I will because I'm passionate about this topic. But I, I will say this: I see more and more young people mm-hmm. wanting to go after or follow somebody who's a well-known name right, or right. this person or that person. They don't even know their character. Yeah. You don't know someone's character because they can preach a good sermon. Yeah. I mean, the the verdict is out. There is a lot of preachers that have gone off the rails mm-hmm. and everybody would have said, everybody at this table included, they were for the gospel. They mm-hmm. preached Christ-centered messages right, and everything right. like that. There's no way you can really know somebody's right. character unless right. you're doing life with them. Absolutely. And so if you're listening to this and you need to develop your character, go find somebody that's got it. It doesn't right. have to be a pastor. It doesn't yeah. have to be a preacher, whatever. Because we got to be honest. There's a, We're already seeing this in, in our network. There's a lot of right. planners that we're even trying to develop. Now. They don't know what uh, godly uh, manhood looks like. Right. They don't know what uh, being on time looks like. They don't know what how to treat women certain ways. Open right. car doors. That's right. character stuff. Right. You got to see it. I want to I want to circle back to, to something that, that Kay Saban was just hitting on and like the word that came up would be impatience, mm-hmm. right? Like I think one of the biggest things that, that I see in it's usually in younger guys. And, and I mean, I think when you're talking about developing character, yeah. usually we're, we're going to be doing that in, in younger mm-hmm. men, although, it's, you know, sometimes it, it might be older guys. But one of the biggest things that I see over and over and over again is that guys don't want to um, 
put in the time to humble themselves and come under authority and really learn. And like, that was a hard lesson I had to learn when I came to Christ and I fully surrendered my life to Jesus because I had a church background, but I wanted to jump straight into just, you know, being in charge and doing things. And, and I ended up, you know, realizing that my life character wise was a huge mess Mm -hmm. and I needed some real help. And so I went to Oak Ridge Disciple House and went, and I was in the same house with, you know, guys that were every Everywhere from like big time meth dealers all the way to just punk kids like me who like to smoke pot and drink a lot of, you know, drink a lot and play poker on the weekends. <laughs> and so, but I, I need looking back, I needed that. And it was because I, you know, just sat under the authority of others and wasn't in charge for a while. And right. like what I see over and over again is guys just blowing past those preparation phases and they're wanting to jump straight into things and they're not ready character wise. But isn't it because what we've been having this conversation a lot lately, yeah. but isn't it because of they don't see it as, Oh, I'm, I'm preparing for ministry, right? Mm-hmm. They just see it as you're telling me to stop or wait. Yeah. Or I'm not ready or yeah. whatever, but, but actually waiting is the preparation. Am yeah. I making sense? <laughs> like you're, you're inviting people into ministry. You're inviting people in your life. I love what case does, man. Like, Hey, I'm, 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 I gotta go pick this up or I gotta go pick my kids up. You call one of your guys and you're like, Hey, hop in the car with yeah. me. I'll swing by your house. Mm-hmm. That's the most valuable discipleship time you can get. That's when yep. your guys get to see how you live your life. Life and what you do. And there's a generation of planters who, unless they're like, this is when I start my pipeline, this is when I graduate my they don't see that we're preparing you actually all the time. We're preparing you when you're at my house for dinner. Right. You, when, when I'm talking to my kids and you're around, you're being prepared. Like right. you didn't even know this is a test right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This, this podcast episode. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, th- there's so much more to say, but I think you've you've really hit on some important points. And that uh, you know, when we when we prepare our sermons, we talk about or teaching the scriptures. The ca- the context is king. Yeah. And in 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 life, in ministry, in in our trustability, character is king. Yeah. Right. When character is even second place to that, there is a danger of people that I've seen and I've read and followed. And there was a great fall because there was a lot of character issues that were ignored. And now it, the reality is uh, it's humbling and it's scary because yeah. the reality, but for the grace of God, any one of us would be there. Yeah. And I think the lessons we learn from that is that, Hey, we need to make sure on our own lives that Paul says to Timothy, like guard yourself, make your progress evident to all. Yeah. And so I think it's important to make sure that we guard ourselves, guard our lives our, and know that our is on the line. The name of Christ is on the line, and that and that we ourselves are making progress, mm-hmm. so that both my children and those people I disciple. Um, I'll give you one last example. Um, uh, last week, uh, a person, young man that was intern with us in the summer, made a comment that in the summer I made a joke, and that um, I was not necessarily sensitive to him. Yeah, and you know what. I just felt so bad and I said, I just repented immediately. I said, Hey, I wish you had told me earlier. Yeah. And I think not so because he thinks better, but it's just like, that's the right thing to do. Yeah. You know what? I, I'm your pastor. And that was not cool. Even though it was a simple joke, if that hurt. And I said, Hey, next time, let me know earlier. I want to repent earlier if I yeah. have not. And those are realities that they're watching for and yeah. makes me mindful of those things. 
you know, I, I just as we kind of wrap up, um, we're about to to go eat some some fish and chips, boys. Fish and chips, some fish and chips, boys. But um, <laughs> I think this apologize just, to our Newfoundland listeners, <laughs> Newfoundland <laughs> listeners. Um, I, I just want to emphasize this uh, again: how important the, the really when we talk about APES, how I think in, in church planting we are so apt to overlook character and especially the shepherd teacher type of uh, uh, you know stuff and, and we need that you know we oftentimes you know we look at the apostle paul and we want to go look at you know and, and rightly so we want to follow what you know the way that paul planted churches but we got to remember who wrote first timothy and who wrote titus the apostle paul wrote that right. he was the guy that told timothy keep a close watch on yourself and on right. your teaching for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers so like yeah. case of said mm-hmm. there are souls on the line here That's right. and you know i know we don't want to get too slowed down like it we're multiple we want to plant lots of churches, but what are you multiplying? Yeah. Are you multiplying healthy churches? Is the is the actual gospel of Jesus Christ going out? Are are people? Uh, are you multiplying people who are who are reflecting uh, the the image of Jesus Christ, who are bringing God glory, or are you multiplying something else? Yeah. And I think that's important for us to remember. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think too, like as we head to the finish line on this episode. I think one thing that in you know, a case of man, man, we just, I get emotional thinking about your story, man. And I'm just so grateful that you're in this network. I, man, we love you and we're so proud of you. I, man, every time I share your story, hear you tell your story, I just, I just praise God. Mm. And I, I'm thankful, man, that you got a church planning resident now in your in your church mm-hmm. and you guys are going to send him off and I know you're going to do it the right way and uh, you you live what you preach man and we just love you we're so thankful you're in this network and man thanks for being with us today dude thanks yeah. brother I'm so, yeah. so so grateful and uh, and um, thankful to the Lord and uh, you know let me close with one verse Paul says in yeah. Philippians 127 only let your manner of life be worthy of gospel of Jesus Christ amen yep. and so may that be our prayer may that be our aim in our churches and the people that we disciple amen amen okay thanks so much bro hey guys thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of In the Trenches as always you can go to www.getinthetrenches.com and there you can find other episodes and some other content make sure that if you haven't yet go onto itunes or stitcher or google play and hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating five star ratings only please uh and we really appreciate that we're gonna go eat some fish and chips boys uh but until next week we'll be back with another episode next monday so until then go out there and get in those trenches church planners. Yeah.